This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome to the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. I'm Don LaGreca joining us all the way up in the great white north of Toronto for the Hall of Fame induction ceremonies later on tonight is E.J. Raddick from the NHL Network. Fresh off his call of the Panther-Blackhawk game yesterday afternoon. How are you, sir? I'm good. I mean, let, let's, let's you know, Toronto is not that far away, Don. You make it oh, it's way up like, there. You know, I mean, you, I'm in the North Pole. You had, I mean, you, not, you, uh, it was a short plane ride. No, listen, you, they, have a, they have a place to have your snow boots on top when you go. When you take any flight to Canada, they've got an extra compartment there for snow boots and, and for people that uh, – I think that pe- there, are, there are people that have um, – like they have polar bears for support animals. It's just a whole nother world up there. So you're right in the thick of it all. <laughs> oh yeah, I you know today when I, last night when I got in, I was walking down the street. I bumped into a couple of polar bears. You know, just just rolling along down Bay Avenue there, Bay Street. So. Sure. No, no Toronto's yeah, a great city. Uh, and it, it, yeah, it's a great city. It's a beautiful day here too, and uh, it's, I always love coming up for the Hall of Fame induction ceremony just because. Uh, you know, it's, it's a special day for those people who are, are being inducted into the Hall of Fame and we get to see so many different connect, you know, people that are connected to them through the hockey world. So really, uh, you know, really good. Yeah, and we, we talked about it last week. We, we know we're getting older when we see somebody get drafted, watch their entire career, and then go through the three-year waiting period and then get inducted into the Hall of Fame. And, and that's how I feel with Henrik Lundqvist not from a fan perspective but he kind of encompasses my career in in hockey with the New York Rangers I was hired to do pre and post by MSG his rookie season and I literally got to see his entire career you know drafted in what was it the seventh round like an afterthought kind of just let's take a flyer on him I, I was reading uh Carpy's book about how Don Maloney was just like, hey, let's t- they had taken a goalie before him. Let's just take a chance. He was highly rated out of Europe, but not a lot of expectations. His rookie year, he's backing up Kevin Weeks. And by the time that season ended, he had won a gold medal for Finland and uh, or, uh, for Sweden and ends up uh, taking the Rangers to the playoffs for the first time in, in eight years. It was just quite a start to his career, and it's just hard to believe that we got to see you know, one of the great goaltenders in the history of this sport um, right before our eyes now finally going where he belongs in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yeah, that was a kind of a no-brainer, right, for, for Hank to go to the Hall of Fame. And you're right. We, I was thinking about that myself today. I was thinking about talking to one of my colleagues, Dave Reed, who is over at the NHL Network, and um, we're going to have coverage of the Hall of Fame throughout the evening tonight. And, uh, you know, like Dave played, you know, against – you know, Barrasso, Tom Barrasso, and Mike Vernon, and and he played for Ken Hitchcock, and he played with the Avalanche under Pierre Lacroix, and like you know, he's had connections to a lot of the Hall of Fame uh, people outside of obviously Karen Olet. But um, but you know, he said when he got to Henrik, he goes, yeah, he's too young for me. And so like you know, Henrik played after Dave retired, and so Henrik has had a whole nother career, right? Like there was a whole nother generation of players and now here we are three years after his retirement and he goes into the Hall of Fame so um, you're right it is kind of interesting for those of us who cover it like yourself like me who have seen you know I was thinking about it yesterday when I was calling the Panthers and Hawks I mean we got the Connor Bedard was just off the charts in the game had a couple of unbelievable goals he's such a kind of a showman out there he, he strikes really quickly and uh, so much fun and I'm like here we are like you know I 
I go back and remember when I was a kid watching, you know, Jean Belleville at the end of his career and Bobby Orr, and I, I saw Gordy Howe actually play the game and, uh, uh, you know, and then follow it all the way through, and now I'm calling Connor Bedard yeah. uh, yesterday. And, you know, it, it just kind of reminded me of how fortunate I've been to do something that I, that I really love and to be around something like that for so many years. And, you know, that's it. And you're right. You got, you got to see it, Don. I mean, really up close from being around covering the Rangers closely, like his, the whole journey. And, you know, I guess credit Christian Rockstrom and the Rangers scouting group. I guess that was like uh, Neil Smith's scouting group. I mean, Neil had been let go at the time, but it was his group still intact that made that decision. And, you know, it worked out. I mean, Joel, Henrik's brother, his twin brother Joel, was a hot, more highly thought of yes. prospect. Then Henrik, and, uh, you know, in the end, Henrik is the one that was the star. And it's kind of funny, two twin brothers, right? And we've seen twins, we saw the Sabines, right? But Henrik and Joel, when you look at them, I mean, they're identical twins, but yet you could see the difference. Like, between, there's, like, Henrik, it's just something about him. There's a twinkle in the eye or the way he carries himself. Yeah. And Joel is kind of more of the everyman. And mm-hmm. it's, like, it's amazing to look at when you see them both could immediately tell which one is Henrik. So uh, he was a special, special player, and Ranger fans, I'm sure, are excited and thrilled that he's going into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I'll touch on also, you know, Ken Hitchcock, who, who we got to know doing NHL yeah. Live. He was always a great guest. He was always very uh, yep. accommodating to me early in my play-by-play career whenever we were in Columbus, and he was always very generous, not only with his time, to help me prepare for the game, he would have no problem, you know, listening and, and critiquing my effort, <laughs> which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. I, he was really just a uh, down-to-earth guy. And I, I think the best story about Ken that I can think of was how he went and coached Princeton during the lockout. Like He just he just loved hockey. I guess he was with the Flyers at the time and was kind of close proximity to Princeton, but uh, well-deserved that uh, he's going to go in uh, into the Hall of Fame tonight as well. Yeah, I I can remember during our NHL Live days, I think he critiqued your clothing on a couple of occasions. Oh, yes. uh, that was, I mean, really, it was something that needed to be discussed. <laughs> I mean, uh, based on what I can remember. But he was quick to, to weigh in on that. And, that, and uh, you know, so he had thoughts on everything that you could have. And, and you know, all kidding aside, I, I was there in Dallas when Hitch coached his first NHL game. Bob Ganey had been the coach general manager, and it was, you know, at that time, I remember it was kind of difficult to watch Bob Ganey have to step inside as, like, this, you know, Bob Ganey is kind of like this, you know, he's a legend in hockey, really. I mean, he's this figure, you know, yeah. he doesn't say a lot, <laughs> but, you know, he's a, he's a, he's certainly a presence, and to see Bob step aside when the team was struggling, and in comes Ken Hitchcock, and over the course of a couple of years there, you know, he was able to help mold that team into a a Stanley Cup champion, a team that went to the Cup final twice. So, um, got to know Hitch really well, and uh, you know, really happy for him being inducted as well. Yeah, Tom Barrasso goes in. Also, Pierre Turgeon, who I still think, in a lot of ways, yeah. even though he's going into the Hall of Fame tonight, is underrated. Uh, probably doesn't get talked yeah. about enough, um, just because he was never. He was on a, a bunch of player. different teams, so but maybe yeah. not really appreciated as much as he should be. Yeah, he's like, what do they say? He's a little bit of a compiler. He played yeah. a long time, and he put up numbers. In an era where you could put up numbers a little bit more easily, but, you know, and he, didn't, he was not part of championship teams, but he was a great player. He was a, he was a first overall pick, right, I believe, in the draft. And, 
Um, you know, he had some great years. He had an unbelievable year with the Islanders, the year they uh, made a run in 93, and then he got hurt when he was, you know, when, when Dale Hunter blindsided him several seconds after he scored a goal. Yeah. Which, uh, it's still one of those ones when you watch today, you still shake your head. Um, but but he was a great player, and it's nice to see that he's finally uh, being recognized. I think there's a lot of players in that window that you could say once a Pierre Turgeon goes in, I mean, you know, there's there's others, you know, like uh, Jeremy Roenick, Keith Kachuk, and Alexander McGillney, I mean, Roddy Brindamore. I mean, there's a number of guys, I think, that kind of slide into that window. So, uh, but Pierre was a great player. And, you know, Tom Barrasso going in, the, the one thing for me about Tom Barrasso, he was not like a, he certainly wasn't, you know, someone that really uh, spent a lot of time you know, working with the media, right? Right. So, like, he didn't have, you know, sometimes, as we've talked about this, right, Donnie, is that, like, you know, it does, let's face it. I mean, if people are have good relationships with the media, like Henrik Lundqvist was a beloved guy, right? Like, he was a great player, but he was also, like, somebody that everybody liked. And, you know, Tom Barrasso was a little bit of a different cat, and, uh, you know, I, I can't speak to what kind of teammate he was, but I've Heard some stories. He wasn't always the most popular guy within the group. But the bottom line is this. He was a great goalie. He went from a U.S. high school in the early 80s, which is not what it is now. <laughs> and he went to the National Hockey League. And with the Buffalo Sabres was the Vesna and Calder Trophy winner in that first season. And he went on to win some cups with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And the thing that I remember about Tom Barrasso the most and it doesn't get talked about enough because we talk about Ron Hextall and Marty Verdeur as puck handling goalies. Tom Barrasso could dominate the game with his ability to handle a puck. Like when teams would dump it in, if you weren't dumping it in with a strategic plan, he could get to it and it would be off the glass and out of the zone. And I can remember a game in particular at Madison Square Garden where he, you know, the Rangers couldn't get a sniff on the forecheck because Barrasso just kept coming out and playing the puck. So. Uh, he had a great career. He did some things that were unique, and uh, glad to see him. You know that Tom is being uh, is being honored in this way. I don't know if you went through this as a fan. Like I grew up a Devil fan, you grew up an Islander fan, but there were certain like teams that you liked for like a given year. And one of my favorite teams was that '89 Flame team. I, I I just I caught a lot of their games. I, I saw their games locally, and I got completely caught up in that game seven against the Canucks. If you remember, when they were almost bounced out of the first round, Joel Otto scored a, ga- a goal late in that first overtime, and then they ended up going and winning a cup against the Canadians. And there's so many great players on that team: Joe Newendike and you know Theo Fleury and Gary Suter and um, Al McGinnis. Just so many great Hall of Fame caliber players, and of course Mike Vernon the goaltender of that great team, the only cup the Flames ever won. Yeah, yeah, Mike Vernon. Mike Vernon has had a great career. He's a great goalie and junior, and he comes in the National Hockey League, and he helps the Calgary Flames be successful and win a cup, and then he goes to Detroit and is part of, of winning the Stanley Cup there, and you can remember him you know, getting into the mix with uh, Patrick Waugh during those nasty Red Wing avalanche rivalry days of the uh, of the late 90s into the 2000s so yeah Mike Ferner was another guy had a long career had a great career won cups with multiple franchises ran up a lot of wins and you know it's it's funny with goalies I mean, we get three goalies going in this year and it's the first time in, in the Hall of Fame history that we've had three and I think that they've been a little 
you know, they haven't really been, uh, they haven't caught up, I don't think, the Hall of Fame with all the goalies that maybe should be in. So uh, I'm really happy to see these three guys. Obviously, Lundqvist was a no-brainer, but to go back and to, to, to re-litigate uh, the case for Barrasso and Vernon and have those guys in is terrific. And you're right, Mike Vernon, I mean, he was great on that Calgary team. I remember that, uh, I guess that was Lonnie McDonald's one. Is, uh, I think you know, that was his final game yes. in, in the final against Montreal. And, uh you know, winning the Stanley Cup that year. So, uh, yeah, that was a great team. They did have a lot of really good players on that Calgary team. I mean, think about how many more Cups the Calgary Flames organization might have yeah. won if it hadn't been for those pesky Edmonton Oilers with Gretzky and company in the, mm. uh, in the 80s it's because they were always kind of in the way for several teams out west. And the Flames were able to get them once in 86, and that was only with the help of a gas by the... Uh, by the uh, Edmonton Oilers, Steve Smith kind of banking the puck accidentally off Grant Fjord into his own net. But as I say, when I look back at that, that came at the 10-minute mark. The Oilers had 10 minutes left in that yeah. game to make amends and give the Flames credit. They were able to hold on. All right, so let's go into where we are now. And, of course, the big news over the weekend, Jay Woodcroft is let go in Edmonton. I guess not a huge surprise considering their awful start. I guess the timing was a little strange to me. He seemed to mouth the words that he was gone after the San Jose game, allowed the coach against Seattle and won that game 4-1. to one. Um, Chris Knobloch is going to take over, the Hartford Wolfpack coach with the Rangers, who did coach on the NHL level a, a couple of times when David Quinn was in COVID protocol and we were in the uh, the bubble, if you're that 50, that 56 game season. I shouldn't say the bubble, but in that COVID season, shortened season. So. Yeah. Um, I guess not a surprise he was let go. Were you surprised about why he was able to coach beyond the San Jose loss? Well, I think what happens, Donnie, is that, you know, management have these conversations, right, about what they're doing and the timing of things. And um, I would imagine they just felt like, they, you know, maybe they were in discussion, they weren't sure, and they were willing to go forward with that road game in Seattle with Jay behind the bench. And, uh, you know, they, the Oilers played very well in that game. I mean, they didn't give up a ton of shots in the game. Uh, they built a big lead early. Zach Hyman had a natural hat trick. And, uh, you know, they went on to win. But I think the decision, you know, these kind of, I've seen this happen before with coaches. I mean, heck, you saw the whole thing play out with Bruce Goodrow last year where they basically made a decision like months earlier. <laughs> and right. then they just went on and on and on and it was really uh, I mean it was kind of sickening to be honest with you and, and something that I, I believe is a blemish on Jim Rutherford's record uh, as a manager in uh, in this league but, uh, or as a, you know an executive in the league but um, you know they had to get do a deal with Chris they probably had to do you know talk to the Rangers about having him uh, have the opportunity and you know, all those things take a little time. So uh, he will make his debut on Monday evening here against the uh, the Islanders at home. They got two home games. They got Seattle coming in on a Wednesday. Then they go on a trip down to Florida, Florida, Tampa, Washington, Carolina. I think is a four game trip. But uh, you know, they're showing some signs of life. I mean, uh, surely you know Drysdale and McDavid are going to be more productive as we as we move along here. Um, you know, there's been talk, especially being up here in Canada for a day or so and listening to, you know, people talk about McDavid. It's like, well, he's playing through injury, he's playing through injury because he was, he did miss a couple games, he came back. It, you know, I did that outdoor game against the Harris Classic against Calgary. I thought he looked terrific in that 
in that game. And uh, you know, but if he is playing with something, that's a challenge. But you know, that's you know, that's life as a professional athlete. Sometimes yeah. these guys have to do that. But uh, you know, he hasn't really. You know, he's been a, he's below a point a game. Which Connor McDavid? I mean, that's uh, that's a headline, right? I mean, he's ten points in eleven games right now. He only has the two goals. Uh, Leon Draisaitl is kind of, you know, he's a little bit better than that at fifteen points in his thirteen games, but he had a struggle in there as well. He's been scoring a bunch of games in a row, so you know those guys are going to ha- get going, and they're going to have to find a way to get more out of the bottom part of their lineup, and the D is going to have to get better, and they're going to have to hope that you know they can run with Stuart Skinner and he could. He can handle a heavy workload and, and be the guy for them. So we'll see if all those things come together. Chris Knobloch was, was Connor McDavid's coach at Erie uh, in the Ontario Hockey League as a junior player. Uh, they certainly bring back the band for Connor. I mean, they've got his agent, Jeff Jackson, is now the former agent, is now the CEO of the Oilers of Hockey Operations there. They've brought in Chris Knobloch. They brought in Connor Brown this year as a, as a former junior winger and given him an opportunity and and they're coming back off a year being out of hockey due to injury. So, uh, you know, I mean, the bigger picture for the Oilers is is Leon Dreisaitl's contract is up at the end of next season. So he can be a free agent uh, on July 1st, 2025, and then Connor McDavid can be a free agent on July 1st, 2026. So, I mean, I think the Oilers as an organization are trying to do whatever they can to – you know, to obviously get better and try to get back to where they were the last couple of seasons when they had a much when they had a really competitive team. But you know, when you watch them, they still, you know, there's still some holes and some deficiencies. And with the cap issues they have, uh, they're going to be hard to fill. Rangers just continue to find ways to win despite keep losing players. No Fox, they continue to win. No Heedle. Igor Shosturkin's missed some games. They've now won goal games with three different goaltenders, including Louis Domingue. Now Lindgren might be out. He left the game uh, in the third period last night in a great come-from-behind victory against Columbus, in which Alexei Lafreniere really lifted them. It's been it's been fun to watch this team. Obviously, you can't sustain playing at this level and with these injuries, but they, they just continue to find ways, and just Peter Laviolette has his markings all over this team. Yeah, I mean, they, they have uh, I mean, they have good personnel, let's face it. I mean, when the Rangers are healthy, I mean, quite to the weaknesses. I mean, they've got really good top six forwards. they have good bottom six forwards. they got a strong defense. They got one of the best goalies in the league. Um, you know, and now the depth in goal with Jonathan Quick stepped in and played well, and now Louis Dominguez has come up and, and played well. So, I mean, it's a strong roster, and, uh, you know, they're getting kind of, you know, Lafreniere, he came in, we talked about him, like, you know, about uh, six weeks ago, right? That it was a big year for him, and he's come in and he's played pretty well so far this year. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, there's always going to be people that think he could do more, and, you know, if he has time goes on, but, uh, He's produced some big plays for them, and you know they got to get some of these guys back healthy. But it's nice to build up a cushion like this. I'll tell you that. I mean, ask the Edmonton Oilers, right? I mean, they're looking uphill, and they yep. make a coaching change. You know, sitting there three nine and one with just seven points. But uh, you know, for the Rangers, it's been a really good start. They're sitting in first place in the in the Metro, and uh, you know they got a little cushion if uh, the boat starts to get rocking on them a little bit, as it does over the course of an eighty-two game season. But it's a credit. To that group right now, and to Peter. Peter's a veteran coach, and you know he's got a track record, right, Donnie? It's coming in this first year and having a lot of success. So, like, this is not his first rodeo, and you know he knows what he expects out of his players, and and so far it's been good. Yeah, it's been just a terrific start.
Islanders struggling a bit. Third period's been bad for them, too. How do you feel about them and where they stand right now? Fans chanting for Lambert to be fired. It looks like the not the ship isn't sinking, but just there's a feeling like something's not right there. Well, I mean, they're a thinner group for sure, right? And they're not fast and fleet of foot up front. They've got some older veteran forwards. They're still, I think, have a pretty good defense. I think their goaltenders are very strong, maybe. You know, you have the Boston duo, and then you have Sorokin and Varlamov as a duo. I think there's those are probably the two best duos in the league. But uh, um, you know, there's just there's just not enough push offensively in the games from the Islanders. Um, and I don't think they necessarily are playing to their strengths. I mean, I think this team is built to play Barry Trotz hockey from a couple of years ago, still, which is to play. Uh, a defense first type of game and to keep everybody to the outside and, and not try to get into, you know, a, a kind of a more run and gun game. And mm-hmm. I think Lane Lambert has wanted to play more offensively since he got there and activated Z more, which all makes sense, but you have, you, know, you have to understand where you're at personnel wise. And I don't know if the honors have that personnel to do that. So I think, uh, you know, it's been kind of an up and down start. They've had a couple of guys out of the lineup that chirps them. Uh, you know, when Pelic misses any time, I mean, he's one of those guys that uh, is an important piece for them. So, uh, you know, Dobson has played well, but, uh, you know, just not getting enough out of the forwards to this point. Anders Lee has had a really tough start. He's only had a goal and two points in 13 games. I mean, they need much more out of their captain. And so, you know, I just, when I look at it, um, you know, for me, I just think they need to get back to a really more conservative game and try to hammer out wins that way and play to their strengths. But, you know, we'll see as time goes on. And maybe yeah. they can get a little bit more out of Wallstrom and, you know, some of these other younger guys they have within their group. So, uh, but they're going to need it, and, uh, you know, it's going to be a challenge for them to make the playoff. Hey, listen, it can turn on a dime. You know, you see what happened with the Devils with their injuries, and now they're struggling a bit. And yeah. now Pittsburgh, out of nowhere, it's all of a sudden caught fire. Seemed like going out west was good for them. Yeah, it was. I mean, they got a little, they got a get right game against San Jose where they, they put up uh, a bunch of goals, right? And then they were in a good spot against San Jose, or excuse me, against LA. They caught LA on the second of a back to back. LA had played in Vegas and had a real, I mean, beating Vegas out west is an emotional win. You know, and they went into Vegas and beat them. I think they shut them out. And then the next night they came back and Pittsburgh was able to beat them. I think it was an overtime game. They were independent. They had already lost to the Ducks this year. I think they were well aware of what the Ducks can do. And uh, I think they really tightened up against the Ducks. And, you know, they won a low-scoring game there as well. So, you know, I, I think uh, you're right. That trip out west did them good. I think the timing of some things helped them. They found their way a little bit. Jari was out, but now he's back. And, uh yeah, I mean, they, they, we saw, you know, last year at the regular season, they had stretches where they were really good. And uh, I expect them to be kind of a similar group this year, where, like, they're going to have stretches where they look like, hey, you know, maybe the Penguins are going compete. And then I think they're going to have other stretches where there's no hmm. challenges. So we'll see how it goes. But, uh, you know, right now they're on a little bit of a heater, and uh, they need to be. Let's face it. I mean, the, plays, the chase for the playoffs is going to be challenging. I mean, there's seven points between Carolina second in the Metro, and Columbus at the bottom. And, you know, you just saw Columbus. I mean, they, they're they a competitive group. I mean, they've got their challenges. So I love, 
I love that on Fantilli after the game. I mean, he looking at like, he just said, you know, I hate losing, and we got, we're better than this. And, like, you know, there's a young man that's trying to help turn around the culture in, uh, you know, with that franchise. So, uh, you know, it's going to be a challenge to make it. So, for the Pittsburgh Penguins and, you know, for the Devils even who, you know, let's face it, I mean, losing Hughes and Heischer, I mean, wow. I mean, yeah. gutting your first two centers in your team, I mean, makes such a big difference. But they don't play any defense, yeah, but you knew it was going to be a bumpy ride for the Devils this year. I mean, they played actually played well defensively last year. This year, they've got some younger pieces back there. It's not exactly the same. The goalies, you know, are not, uh, you know, I think they had question marks coming into the season. I yeah. think they overachieved a little bit last year. But, I mean, it's a different year. I mean, I think it was kind of to me like the Rangers, you know, my thinking last year was the Rangers went to the conference final two years ago. Last year would be a bumpier ride, but I thought it would benefit them in the postseason. As it ended up, it did not. Um, I think the Devils might be in that boat this year. they got to get used and future healthy, clearly. They're not going anywhere without those two guys at the front of their lineup. But uh, I think it will be a bumpier ride in the regular season. There'll be a lot to learn for some of the younger players. I do wonder what... Tommy Fitz is going to do when it comes to his goaltending. He's going to go out and try to make a move and add a goaltender. Yeah. That's the easiest thing to do these days. So, you know, there's some, there's some questions and there's some challenges. But, like, this is what comes with high expectations, right? At the start of the season, we talked about the Devils. There were higher expectations. They were a second-round team this year. They were a 100-point team this year. People are expecting bigger and better things. And, uh, you know, there are bumps along the way as you oh, yeah. get to that level. And so there'll be... You know, there'll be some challenges for the Devils. But you're right, they got to defend way better, giving up too many goals and playing a little too loose. I mean, they're a minus team right now. They're minus one in the standings. And, uh, you know, that tells you they've given up a lot of goals because they've scored 48. All right. Up 49. Yeah, kind of like Colorado. I mean, this is what's weird about the Avalanche, right? I, I could I can live with losing to the Vegas Golden Knights 7-0 because they're the defending Stanley Cup champions. I, I didn't see St. Louis putting up eight in Colorado the other night. no. <laughs> no, I did not either. And uh, yeah, there's some, you know, there's some challenges there too because of, you know they have Georgiev, but they don't. They just, you know, the the Pavel Francis has had a number of injuries over the years, and now he's headed back home. He's done for the season with injury. Um, you know, I'm not really convinced the guys behind him, behind Georgiev, are going to be you know rock solid. They've had some other little injury issues along the way. And so, uh, yeah, they've had, after a good start, they've had some bumps. I mean, to me, Vegas and Colorado are the two best teams, you know, that I, that I see when they're playing well. But right now, Colorado isn't playing well, so we'll see if they can get things together. They've had a really uh, a tough stretch where, um, you know, they, had a, they were shut out a couple of times. They got blown out by St. Louis. So, uh, you know, there's some work to be done there. And, you know, Dallas is rolling along, so they're, they've kind of skipped ahead of them in the division. Oh. You know, Dallas has got a good hockey team, and they got a good goalie, yeah. and they're well coached, and they've got uh, some really good players there, so they're hard out as well. Uh, eight goals against Minnesota last night, seven of them on special teams, five on the power play, two yeah. shorthanded. I don't think I've ever seen that. Yeah, I don't remember seeing that too often, <laughs> but, you know, Peter DeBoer was funny after the game. He said, well, it's the same story with Minnesota. I mean, they want to run around and take penalties, and we have to make them pay on the power play, and they did. And then they also scored two shorthanded goals in the game. I mean, quite frankly, I think Minnesota, I mean, they're in a tough spot because, you know, they get these, they have this cap issue there with the dead money for Parisi and Suter, and so they're having to work around that. But, uh, you know, we saw a coaching change in Edmonton. There's coaching changes when, when there's high expectations. 
right, which they were in Edmonton, and now they have a change. To me, in Minnesota, I think Dean Everton has had plenty of time to figure that thing out. I, I wasn't impressed with him in either of the last two playoff runs with his decision-making. Um, he'd be a guy that I'd be moving on from if I were right. running the show there. It doesn't mean that they necessarily have a roster or they should have the expectations that other teams have, but I just think that he's run his course there for me. And, uh, you know, if I was Billy Garen, I'd be moving in a different direction. But I think, uh, you know, I don't know if that's, uh, you know, that's the plan. I don't think, I don't sense that's the plan right now. But, you know, if you have too many more nights like you had last night, um, you know, I don't think, uh, I don't think it'll be long before they decide to make a move. Because as you know, in this league, I mean, uh, guys get moved out pretty quickly when uh, things are going poorly. And sometimes, even when things are going well. EJ, enjoy tonight. Should be a lot of fun, and we will talk to you next week. You got it, my friends. Take care now. All right, buddy. That's EJ Raddick. He's a very, very busy man up in Toronto for what should be a really cool ceremony, the 2023 inductions into the Hall of Fame. And, you know, we mentioned that Anthony Pusick is going to be a co-host moving forward. Um, Didn't get a chance to talk to EJ and then get all our things together, but we're going to get um, Anthony in the fold on Wednesday. But I wanted to get just his thoughts as somebody that's very young, that saw Henrik Lundqvist's entire career and just wanted to get your thoughts on seeing him finally getting inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Well, look, I'm not going to get in the way of the Don LaGreca, E.J. Raddick romance. That's not... No, no, no. I, I want I... no. I want you to be involved next week. It's just that uh, I didn't get a chance to, to talk to him. We didn't get a chance to go over what we were going to discuss because I'm a very busy person. But, you are uh, a busy we're, person. We're still, we're, still, um, we're still on board with uh, moving forward starting on Wednesday. But uh, what'd you think of, what do you think about Hank tonight? Well, look, in regards to, to Hank, I mean, I covered him for one year uh, when I covered the team back in college. But, of course, uh, I watched him... For my entire childhood, basically, um, I probably really got into hockey after the lockout in two thousand and three, two thousand four. Lumkus was a big part of pretty much every team once he got drafted, um, and it started the turnaround of of this franchise from being in the dregs in the early two thousands, mid two thousands, to being a perennial playoff team and cup contender and winning the East one year. I mean, he was one of the greatest goalies that I've ever seen. I mean, I, of course, saw the back end of Marty Brodeur's career. Um, but in terms of Rangers goaltenders, you could argue that Henrik Lundqvist is the best ever. Um, getting his number retired mm-hmm. uh, in the Garden was emotional, too. Uh, but to see him get the Hockey Hall of Fame, I know that he would have loved to get a cup. Um, not his fault that they didn't, or that he didn't, I should say. But um, it's pretty special. It's pretty cool, and it also makes me feel kind of old. Listen, I know that we we define everything by championships, but the one thing that he can be really proud of is he completely turned a franchise around. Coming out of that lockout, it was the Rangers were not in a good space at all. Had a lot of bad contracts, had a lot of just the bad vibes around the team, and going coming out of the lockout looked like it was going to continue for the foreseeable future. And the reason it turned around as quickly as it did and as efficiently as it did is because of the play of Hank. And I, I go back to a conversation that I had with um, Steve Young years ago talking football, and he would say, you know, for, for a team that's supposed to exceed expectations, who is somebody you're not thinking of at the beginning of the year that by the end of the year people are buying his jersey? And that 05-06 season, that was Lundqvist. He was backing up Kevin Weeks. There wasn't a lot of expectations. Looks like Yarger was on his way out, although he proved that he still had another decade of hockey left. 
But um, you know, what, you know, Peter Pruka had a really great start to the season that year, and they surprised a lot of people. Of course, um, so much made of um, Merrick Malik's goal in the shootout against the Washington Capitals. There are a lot of other great moments and a lot of other great performances, but Hank was the difference. And to show that it was no fluke, they go to the playoffs the next year, they sweep the Atlanta Thrashers, get to the second round, and then you started to see slowly but surely that they were starting to build towards something. And you're right. He did not win a cup, but it was not his fault. Um, he did everything that he could, got him to a Stanley Cup final, won them a President's Trophy, uh, three appearances in the conference final. Uh, so uh, just a tremendous, tremendous career. I know Barrasso's got a couple of cups. I know Vernon's got a cup that's going to go in with him. But the better of the three goaltenders to me was Henrik Lundqvist, one of the great goaltenders that I've ever seen. But unfortunately, like quarterbacks in the NFL, they get judged by their rings. But... Uh, he was beyond that, and he put the Rangers back on the map. And now you've got, speaking of Steve Young, you almost got like a Montana to Young, uh, Manning to Luck situation with uh, going from Lundquist to Igor Shesterkin. But uh, should be a fun night in Toronto, so EJ will be on the coverage for that. Two games tonight, 8.30. The Islanders will be at the Oilers, two struggling teams. We'll see if Chris Knobloch can get his fingerprints on this Oilers team to try to win two in a row. And probably not the greatest of time to go out to Western Canada for the Islanders, but they are 5-5-3, five, 3-5-2 five, and, three, three, five, and two over the last 10. And at 10 o'clock, the Avalanche, after getting beat up by St. Louis, will be in Seattle to take on the Kraken Avalanche after the quick start five and five in their last ten, cracking four four and two in their last ten. So very average hockey for those two. But just two games tonight. A lot of people are going to be talking about the ceremony. We'll reconvene on Wednesday. Myself and Anthony Pusick dive into your tweets at Don Lagreca hashtag Game Misconduct. We'll gather all those up. So enjoy the hockey. Anthony, we'll try this again on Wednesday. Sounds good to me. All right. This was the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca.